Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. My guest today is Tyler Sharp. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then surely you'll remember Tyler. He's the creative director, photographer, and writer who has explored everywhere from East Africa to Montana's Paradise Valley and has the stories and images to prove it. He currently works with some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, such as Filson and Yeti, helping them to tell authentic and engaging stories. Tyler's first podcast episode has been one of my most popular. We went deep covering everything from big game hunting to kung fu to conservation. So I wanted to have him back on to continue the conversation and discuss his latest project, Modern Huntsman. Modern Huntsman is a biannual publication and online forum for like-minded conservationists, creatives, and outdoor enthusiasts. If you enjoy this podcast and the guest's depth of thinking on topics related to the natural world, then you're going to love Modern Huntsman. Through thoughtful writing, captivating photography, and elegant design, Tyler and his all-star team intend to improve the perception of hunting in our society by highlighting its thoughtful and conservation-focused aspects, aspects often ignored by established media. I like to hunt, although I'm not obsessed with it like I am with endurance sports. But my work in conservation and deep reading of history and natural history has given me a first-hand appreciation of the importance of hunters and hunting and the vital role they play in conserving landscapes and species the world over. Without the efforts of visionary hunters like Theodore Roosevelt, the healthy wildlife populations we enjoy here in the American West would be a mere fraction of what they are today, if they existed at all. Thanks to a deep respect for wildlife, born from a love of the sport of hunting, T.R. and his compadres set in motion a conservation ethic that continues to grow and evolve. Now, over 100 years later, modern huntsmen will carry that torch forward. Once again, Tyler and I had a wonderful conversation, and I was unbelievably impressed with his ability to discuss complex, sometimes emotionally charged issues in a respectful, intelligent, and non-arrogant tone. We obviously discussed the details of Modern Huntsman, its origins, and why there's a need for such a publication. We chatted about Modern Huntsman's current Kickstarter campaign, which I highly recommend that you support. Links to it are in the notes. We also talk in-depth about some of the misconceptions around hunting, and details about why hunting is so important for conservation throughout the world. And just like last time, Tyler has some excellent book recommendations for us. This was a fun and very enlightening conversation, so I know you're going to enjoy it. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to everything, and more importantly, be sure to check out the Modern Huntsman Kickstarter page. Watch the film and support the project. You'll be glad you did. So here we go, Tyler Sharp, Part 2. As you know, the way I usually start out these interviews is I yep. ask people when somebody meets you for the first time and they ask you, what do you do? How do you answer that? But luckily we've got uh, about an hour and 15 minutes of you <laughs> explaining <laughs> all the, the cool stuff that you've done. But for yeah. the folks who haven't listened to that yet, and I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that because it's one of my favorite episodes, obviously. Um, can you just kind of give us a, a, a summary of or an overview of kind of who you are, what you do? Sure. Um, so I'm a creative director, photographer, and writer. Um, I do all sorts of different things. Um, 
I've been in and out of, of the outdoor hunting industry for the last 10 years, um, ranging from being a cameraman for a couple TV shows on the Outdoor Channel, um, photographing for a lot of brands and organizations, um, but then also writing stories and photo essays about that. Um, and then I've also, am, am moving more into creative direction and directing, which I know that sounds like a lot of the same word, but uh, directing in terms of um, actually you know, being a director on a set and producing you know, short films or or uh, branded content pieces, um, and then creative direction, which is a lot of times I'm not holding the camera and, and I'm actually sort of writing creative strategy or, um, you know, sort of language for brands to use who are trying to, you know, move in a certain direction or accomplish certain goals, um, or they know that they need to connect with an audience of people, but they don't know how to do it. And so a lot of times I try to bring uh, a solution to that problem that offers a little bit of, of, of a little more of an, a real or authentic nature to it. So, yeah, I think that's a great summary. And, and I'll, I encourage again, people to go back and listen to that episode because through all those skills you've developed over the years, it's taken you on some pretty cool adventures. You know, you, you've spent a ton of time in Africa. You spent a ton of time in Montana and all throughout the American West. When we met the first time it was in Estes Park, Colorado. And there's just a, a lot of great stories there. And so it, it'd be fun. I could listen to you retell them again, but um, <laughs> yeah, w one of the, the main reasons I wanted to have you back on is because of this really cool new project that you've been working on called Modern Huntsman. And I, I went back to our old um, podcast, our first episode, and you were talking, I think you talked about it for about 30 seconds and you just said, it's an idea I'm working on and I'll let you know when, when we have more of an idea. And it was a really perfect teaser because <laughs> um, it was it was just enough to make people interested, and so now here we are talking about the real deal. So, yeah. can you just kind of give us a, a overview of of Modern Huntsman? Sure, sure. Um, which is crazy to think back that far. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's been about a year and a half journey for us. Um, there's two guys from Dallas that basically founded this on accident, um, kind of out of the concept that um, one of them one of them is a hunter, one of them is not, and they through the process of branding my friend's store called Freedom Shooting Sports, um, started to just look for content online through Instagram and, and mo mostly Instagram and started to find these, you know, incredibly talented photographers like, you know, Chris Douglas and Charles Post and Jillian Lewiski and, um, you know, Travis Gillett from Filson and things like that. And there's this sort of common thread of people approaching hunting from a very um, mindful and uh, ethical standard and then producing this imagery, in my opinion, that is new, you know, at least in the last few years. And it hasn't really trickled into a lot of the major publications or um, if you're seeing it in some of the larger brands, they're not crediting the photographers, mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate. And so this Instagram channel kind of started and a lot of momentum uh, surrounded it. And all of a sudden it went to like 20,000, 30,000 followers. And all these people started to be like, well, what are you guys doing? What, what is this? And they didn't really have the answer to that question. Um, but it was representing a group of, of people that didn't really have a unified outlet at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, um, strangely enough, you know, they reached out to me and well, I guess that makes sense, um, thematically that they reached out to me, but I assumed they were in Bozeman or, or, you know, Seattle or somewhere in the Northwest. And, um, anyways, we, I, I sat down with Brad and we started talking about it and they said they wanted to do this magazine and they wanted to sort of try to create this venture that, that represented a new direction, um, for, for hunting and, and conservationists 
that isn't out there. And I started poking a bunch of holes in the idea and was like, well, what about this? And how are you going to make sure that, you know, the, the crossbow or the uh, longbow guys don't get in fight with the compound bow go guys? And, ha- <laughs> and how are you going to make sure that the guys who wear camo don't get in fights with the guys that wear traditional, like, you know, solid colors? And I start, you know, I was basically like, they didn't have answers to those. And they said, well, maybe, maybe you should do all that stuff. <laughs> so I kind of bullied my way into the position of creative director. But it turns out, I mean, it really is the absolute culmination of, of everything I've done in my career up to this point and presents an opportunity to really take action and um, make a positive impact in what I feel like are the pitfalls and the inadequacies of, of the modern uh, perception of hunting. And that's both in and with within and without. Um, I'm sorry, within and from without of the industry. Yep. So within the within the industry, there's a lot of squabbling and um, disagreement on on this and that, which I, I feel like is wasted effort. But a lot of their when I say preaching to the choir, you know, they're they're you know talking about ethics and tradition and conservation, but they're they're telling it to a room full of members of the same club. Mm-hmm. Um, and the conversations they're having with you know not necessarily anti-hunting groups because I, I feel like in most cases that's futile, but yes. people, people who show opposition or who have a mis, uh, misrepresented view of hunting, the, the tone's often very confrontational. Um, mm. It's very uh, like, well, you know, screw the antis or whatever, and that doesn't accomplish anything. So uh, it's a combination of that in addition to the fact that as a freelance artist, uh, photographer, and writer, I, you know, I've worked for a lot of publications um, in the hunting uh, arena, and they don't pay very much. The work's very competitive, and they don't want to take any risks. It's very old guard, yep. um, and, and in most cases, they're sort of beholden to their advertisers. And so there isn't a lot of room for what I'm going to call, let's call it new media, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the sort of work that you're seeing on our feed that, that Brad does an amazing job of, of curating. And so we decided, you know, and and kind of also out of frustration, like, well, you know what, screw it. If you're not going to publish me, then I'll just make my own magazine. Yep. Um, And so we kind of created this as an outlet for what we see is a perspective that's not represented very uh, efficiently or or thoroughly. Um, and, and And the goal of this is literally to improve the perception of hunting in our society. And that is going to be through a, a, you know, a variety of formats, one being a biannual publication, which we are currently uh, 11 or 12 days into the Kickstarter for trying to raise, trying to raise 75K. We've raised 31,000 in 11 days, which is incredible. Um, and so that will be the first avenue. Um, but then we have a website where we're going to be doing sort of an uncrate style um, e-commerce site where we're going to be featuring products and, you know, books and whiskeys and, and boots and, and just interesting things that have uh, relevance to this lifestyle um, mm-hmm. and, and sort of be, um, you know, presenters and advocators of certain things. And then we're eventually going to have what I, I would like to consider a, a forum, uh, an online forum where, you know, guys like Ben Masters, who've been on your podcast before, are yep. producing these incredible films about conservation and, and and ethics and, and governmental political issues and guys like Tito West and, you know, a lot of the Yeti films and all these things live on independent channels or they're on a YouTube channel or it's on, you know, somebody's website and there's not a place you can go to watch all of this together. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to position ourselves to be, um, you know, the, the place where you go to see this type of work. But in addition to that, to actually educate yourself about these issues and, 
I mentioned to you before, but amazingly enough, um, by, by destiny alone is all I can explain it is that I have, you know, become friends and colleagues. Well, I don't know if that might be a strong word, but friends and, uh, with, with Simon Roosevelt, who's, um, and I don't know if he's the great grandson, or great, great grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. One of those two. Either way, um, it doesn't matter. No, that, yeah, uh, it doesn't he's matter. Related. So he's more related he, than I am. <laughs> and it's funny because I've been in New York with him a handful of times and, and have been out on a few of his hunts and, and, um, taken some photos for him and, He's working on a book um, with Rizzoli about hunting as uh, how hunting is used as a conservation tool in North America. And, um, you know, it's been amazing to just be present to some of the, you know, conversations around him. And, and they everyone refers to him as TR, like, oh, yes, I'm from TR's <laughs> side. And uh, it's very surreal that I'm, you know, having these conversations with Simon. And I, I've been... Um, telling him about this project for over a year. And, and he's like, well, you know, it sounds really interesting. Keep me updated. And so when we actually, about three months ago, when we actually were getting ready to start moving forward, I, I said, hey, you know, we'd really, I'd love for you to be involved in some way, really not knowing, you know, how he was going to respond. And he, and he said, you know what, I would love to be involved. I would love to be a columnist. And I would actually like to be on the advisory board. Wow. So we have, uh, as of right now, until we, you know, um, Screw it up. Uh, just kidding. Uh, no, but, you know, si Simon's going to be very much, um, you know, have a heavy hand in making sure that as we move forward that we're adhering to actual conservation standards and that the brands and organizations that we align with um, adhere to what we, a criterion that, that we are still developing, you know, in terms of outward facing, how do you let someone down and say, you know what, sorry, we, we don't want to say that you're bad, but Unfortunately, you just don't, you, your brand standards don't fit our criterion of what we feel like is ethical hunting or, or conservation issues or, or the photos you're posting, you know, go, go down the line. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's an incredible honor to have someone like him. And I feel like that's going to bring a lot of legitimacy to the issues we're trying to take on. Um, and his goal with his book and what, with what we're doing with Modern Huntsman is to, not really, yes, this is a magazine about hunting, but it's more so for the 75 to 80% of the population that is in the middle, right? That sure. maybe, maybe they don't hunt or maybe their grandpa hunted and they're not necessarily stalwartly against it, but maybe they just don't know enough to, to decide one way or another. And so we want it to be, we want the website to be a resource of facts, of studies, of, you know, written documentation of, um, all those sorts of things so that if someone wanted to arm themselves with, you know, the reality of the situation, they can do that and be able to speak eloquently and intelligently about those issues. Yeah. I think that's, what's so unique about what you're doing because it is trying to bring in these, these people who are either non hunters or maybe would be interested, but just can't really break in because there's obviously a huge subset, I mean, maybe even the majority of hunters who are conservation minded and, and share some of the, you know, a lot of the values that you've been talking about there. Um, you know, a guy that comes to mind is Stephen Ranella. You know, he, he's, mm -hmm. his show meat eater is, it has a conservation ethic. He's written some great books. I have a conservation ethic, but you know, I, I love that guy. I think he does a great job, but he is so hardcore into it. I, I couldn't imagine a non hunter watching meat eater and, and really being able to get into it after, you know, 15 minutes, because I mean, what he, he is speaking to 
the most hardcore yet conservation minded and that love history and, and all that, but they're not, it's not for rookies. And, and so I think what you're doing is you're, you're sharing those same conservation values, but you're kind of opening it up to the, this huge group of people that if they could learn about it, they'd love it and they'd understand it. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about, yeah, I don't want to t- dwell on the negative, but I think we need to no. talk about it. Uh, sure. Some of the, the the misrepresentations of hunting and and how this has, why you think there's such a need for this? Because yeah, you know, I I see it all the time. You know, I, I lived in Boulder for seven years. I just just right. moved away from there, and you know, Boulder's got it's the most educated city in the in the con- in the country. You know, everybody there has grad you know graduate degree. They all consider themselves environmentalist. Yet when you say the word hunting. You can see the, you know, the hair on people's necks stand up sure. and what they, they just, they don't understand the history of it. They don't understand, you know, it's funny because, the, you know, that one Saturday morning, they're going to the, gro- the, going to the farmer's market to get some locally grown beef, yet they have a problem with somebody going yeah. to the national forest and getting an elk. And and I, I don't think they mean harm. I think they just haven't, it's such a, a polarizing issue that they haven't thought it through. Um, so yeah. can you just talk a little bit about that and how you're going to be addressing that? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, I think that uh, just to give you an example, a perfect example of what you're discussing is um, last year I went on a quail hunt with a, a chef from Texas who is a barbecue titan in Texas. He owns Pecan Lodge. And we went out on his family's ranch. We hunted wild quail um, with enough to basically make a meal for me, him, his, his uh, friend, and, and their two sons. Um, with the intention of him using a secret barbecue recipe and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, we went out, had this amazing experience, taught his sons about gun safety, had them, you know, work with the dogs and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then we took these quail back. And before we started to, um, you know, prepare them, I put them in my, my hat in the Stetson. And I, you know, uh, had my friend hold it out just as, as kind of like a symbol of, you know, a successful hunt. And I posted this photo online and talked about, you know, the experience and it was really amazing. Um, and it, I just got hammered. And one of the quotes, you know, and, and you go down the list, you know, you're, you're not a man without a gun in your hands and you wouldn't survive two minutes if you were dropped in the backcountry without a weapon and just, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. And it's like, well, I lived in Africa for three years. Like I disagree <laughs> with you. Um, but I tried to be logical and I tried to be, um, level headed and, which really that's where your pointless. meditation practice comes in. Yeah, and it was pointless. But somebody literally said, "Why can't you go to Whole Foods and get your meat like everyone else?" Yeah. And to me, that was just like you. Wow. I mean, I don't even. I didn't even know what to say to that. I'm like, there are so many things wrong with that, and I'm not going to blame it on them per se because a lot of the viewpoint that they have is the fact that a lot of anti-hunting organizations spend. 75 to 80 percent of their budgets on anti-hunting propaganda instead of on actual conservation Mm -hmm. and so you know they paint these emotional misguided and a lot of just wrong fact-wise stories about these bloodthirsty hunters and they do this and they do that um and so i think that they know what they're doing in terms of playing on people's emotions and they've really done a disservice to the reality of the situation in not distinguishing between hunters and poachers, right? Yes. Um, and they've kind of lumped them together that these are both bad guys. And so that's one aspect. And you know what? There are hunters out there who call themselves hunters and call themselves conservationists 
who don't deserve to, to be called that, right? Who are poachers or mm -hmm. they are rednecks or whatever you want to call it. So as in any genre of life, there's bad apples, right? I agree. So um, I think that the fact that it's become a screaming match and unfortunately companies like PETA who have millions and millions of dollars, they scream louder and mm -hmm. they make more noise and sway a larger part of the population. And hunters typically are usually a little more reserved um, and, and usually they kind of just speak with actions instead of words. So the mouthpiece isn't as reciprocated. And so we're trying to be that, but in a much different tone. So, um, you know, addressing those issues from uh, a perspective of, of intelligence and you know, delicacy, right? So guys like Charles Post who are coming from an ecology background and they are literally basing the opinions uh, and the thoughts they have on, uh, on wildlife surveys, on, uh, you know, actual data and numbers um, and how that affects what, what are now limited natural resources in the world. I mean, I, and, and, you know, Ben Masters has spoke about this too. Like we as humans have screwed it all up. And mm -hmm. unfortunately we're in a position now where we can't really let nature just take its course because we have to fix the problem. Yes. And so, um, I think that that's one aspect. Another aspect is that there's often this very macho, you know, male perspective in the hunting industry. Like, I'm a man, I kill. And that comes, that rubs people the wrong way. Um, and rightfully so in certain, in certain situations. Um, so a very, uh, major important part of what I'm trying to do here is bring a feminine perspective to it. Yep. So we have four, four women contributors for the first issue who are all just insanely talented. And I wish that they were all my sisters in some way <laughs> or another. Um, Jillian, the whiskey who her Instagram is the noisy plume, um, Cameron Dangle, um, Nicole Belke, and then uh, Lorca Smetana, who is the wife of Dushan Smetana, who has been a staff photographer for Cabela's for uh, for 15 or 20 years. Amazing, amazing family. And um, anyways, they are bringing this uh, feminine perspective to what's otherwise, you know, a largely male-dominated world. And I really think that that's going to help us um, soften the blow in, in terms of presenting these topics in a, a manner that's less confrontational and um, is, is more open-minded and also, you know, the sort of feel the table thing. I mean, Jillian goes out with the German short hair pointers that she's trained with her shotgun and hunts these birds, uh, prepares them, cooks them, and then uses the feathers to make jewelry. You know, same thing with elk. And I just think that is, if that is not the representation of a strong, independent woman of the West, I don't know what else is. Yep. And the fact that I get to be the one to help bring this work forward and give them a voice um, is incredibly, uh, it's incredibly exciting. And, it, and it's something that I, uh, I just can't wait to share this stuff. Um, and so that's part of the mission. Another down the road, we actually want to have, uh, call it an event or a get together or a seminar where we actually invite non hunters to come out to a ranch or, uh, you know, some public land and be a part of one of these hunts. And, and you don't have to pull the trigger or hold the bow, but I just, for people who have open minds and want to experience something like that, we want to be able to provide an opportunity where they can come out and see the sort of effort and respect and hard work that goes into harvesting one of these animals, uh, what it's like to prepare it and then, and then have a meal prepared, you know, and, and maybe, maybe they take some of the meat home. 
um, maybe they participate in skinning and, and uh, you know, quartering the meat or something like that. But we want to make that um, an opportunity. You know, a lot of times how they have those farms where you can go to the farm and sort of be a part of that to experience what it was like because yep. that's a reality for a lot of people. And, you know, I, I live in Dallas. I've got a lot of friends that live in Los Angeles and New York and Chicago Unless they have friends at some, you know, hipster butcher that they can go watch a, a, a cow get cut up, they don't really know where it comes from or what it takes to do that. And so, especially with right now this this movement and and, and a great movement of organic uh, food and vegetable. You know, where's your meat coming from? What's in it? What did it eat? And how do you know that that's good for you or not? So, I think all of that together is is something we're trying to present. A different perspective that, you know, here and there it's being it's being represented maybe in different channels, but it's certainly not all being put together in one package um, with a new direction that's not tied to what I'm calling the old guard of the hunting industry. Yeah, there, there's definitely no central kind of a, I don't know, a central marketplace for, mm-hmm. for what you're talking about. Um, one funny story I'll tell you <laughs> about the the. the mischaracterization of hunting i was at an event with at my wife's old company uh it was a boulder based environmental group and one of the women there uh hunts elk with a muzzle loader which i thought okay. was super cool but she was yeah. almost embarrassed to bring it up to her co-workers mm-hmm. and we were at a colorado rockies game and she was talking to me about it. i knew she hunted and i didn't realize it was a sensitive subject so I said, it was the fall i said so have you been uh have you gone on your hunt yet and she kind of got nervous and then one of the other people there said you hunt and looked over and said, I can't believe you would do that. That's so cruel. And then fired about two uh, hot dogs down her gullet from the, uh, from the concession yeah. stand. And yeah. I was like, <laughs> I mean, if there's any meat that is cruelly produced as a hot dog. And, yeah. and, and these are, you know, these are people, this, this person had a PhD. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, but I, I know that, you know, that, that person I'm talking about, hopefully they won't listen to this, but they, um, you know, they would love what you're doing with this magazine because, it's thoughtful. It's a, it's a beautifully done. It's a beautifully, um, produced magazine. And that's, that's one thing I want to talk about. Can you just talk a little bit about the photography and, um, you know, I know your, your girlfriend is, is heavily involved in, yes. in the design and she's an extremely talented designer. So can you just talk about kind of the, the aesthetics of the magazine? Sure. And, and, you know, for the record, the magazine doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so you know, while we have some mock-ups um, and we have some some examples of the the editorial style we're we're trying to take, um, you know, the Kickstarter basically is what this hinges on, and, and we've you know we've planned for it to be a realistic goal based on the reach of you know m- my personal following. Uh, the, the modern huntsman following, and then other photographers we have involved, and it's a very doable goal. So at this point, we have about 300 people that have backed the project. Um, amazingly, for $31,000. So if we can get like another 1,500 to 2,000 people to just buy one issue, then we'll easily make that goal. And that's not a lot of people when you think about the internet and the hunting industry and people who are just interested in this sort of topic in general. So. Uh, that being said, um, while we don't have uh, an existing company and budget to commission assignments, a lot of the work is uh, stuff that, that photographers have already produced and maybe haven't released yet. Sure. So we are starting to put together some of the stories. And uh, my girlfriend's name is Katie Smith, and her 
Instagram and drop cap design. Drop cap are the big ornate letters that you'd see in like Renaissance scrolls or like Bibles. It's the first letter that starts the paragraph. Yep. Um, and so she has this incredibly sophisticated design style. She's already doing typography studies and pulling from like old turn of the century press releases and like historical documents. So it's really going to be um, very classic, but also modern, and which is kind of a play on the title, Modern Huntsman. The word huntsman is an, an, an ancient term, but we're sort of presenting a version of how that survives in, in modernity. Um, and so, you know, it, it's I'm so excited to see uh, one, to be able to work with her on it, but two, to see um, again for her to bring a feminine sensibility to this magazine. And mm-hmm. so it's not going to be this uh, there's not anything else out there like that right now um, yeah. in terms of in terms of the hunting world. You know, sure, there's other publications like Collective Quarterly and, um, you know, uh, different stuff, different stuff like that. You One know, that I, I, comes to mind when I think of this project is the Surfer's Journal. You know, completely different sport, but I get the server's journal and I save every single one of them. Every single one of them is a work of art. And it's a, it's a similar concept because, you know, up most surfing uh, media is people ripping on short boards and just, uh, you know, the dude and the, you know, big, the the either massive waves or ripping on short boards Mm -hmm. and, and surfer's journal is about travel. It's about you know, conservation with the ocean and every issue is just beautiful. And that's, that's what I have in mind. And I save every one of them. And that's what yeah. I have in mind when I think about, about modern huntsman. And it is, you know, and there's another one called serial and, um, kinfolk in terms of quality of printing. Um, but this is something that, you know, while yes, technically it's a publication, it's more of an art book. Um, it's going to be, if not 200 pages, more than that. Um, it's going to be full page spreads, um, you know, lots of room for the images and words to work together. Um, we're not tied to a traditional advertising model. As of right now, we have zero advertisers. We're, we're trying to do this on our own terms, which is where the Kickstarter comes in. Um, I think that we will partner with some brands. Um, I don't know if that'll happen for issue one or not, but if we do that, we will make sure that they are the type of brands that, you know, portray what we're trying to do here. You know, some, somebody like Yeti or, or, you know, Sitka or, or Mossy Oak or some of these companies that have a history of producing this type of work, conservation minded work. Um, and we would probably work with them to produce content that's tailored to the stories we're telling. And it was embedded as opposed to being this interruption in the experience of the book, mm-hmm. um, which, which and also allows us to forge relationships with them. And uh, they they then are we're creating marketing materials for them that that they can use in, in their marketing efforts and all that kind of stuff. And um, so really trying to tie it all together um, in that sense. And, you know, some of the, some of the contributors we have, uh, I mean, it is an, it is an all-star team that I'm, I just, it's, I lose sleep over it because I, I just know what it's just going to be so good. And you've had a handful of them on your show. I mean, Charles Post is actually the guest editor for issue one. Um, he'll be contributing an amazing story that I will not reveal the details of. Cool. Um, Chris Douglas uh, will also be a guest editor. So those are my two uh, compadres to help me bring this to the finish line. Um, Jillian Lewiski, Noisy Plume, um, Cameron Dangle, uh, Dushan and Lorca Smetana are a, a husband and wife team. Um, and we're going to have a, a column from Simon Roosevelt. Um, Caleb White, who was the former marketing director for Cabela's Club. Um, mm-hmm. Travis Gillett, who was the former photographer at Filson. Um, Nicole Belke. 
uh, Tanner Johnson, who's done a lot of work with Civilware, which is yep. Jeff Rowley, the professional skaters uh, company. Um, and then Eamon Waddington from Australia, um, who's done a lot of work with Adam Greentree and, and Yeti and, and all that kind of stuff. So we have some amazing uh, people lined up for this issue. I'll, I will be contributing as well. I, mine will probably be more of a weave it all together, paint the landscape of what we're trying to do. Yep. Um, I, I left two people out and they're going to have to forgive me for doing this, but they, Tito West and Ryan Youngblood are incredibly talented guys and they're in the middle of forming a production company right now of, oh, which, wow. the na- of which the name they're not sure of. And so they've, they've wanted me to hold off in promoting them because they want to present their company name. Sure. We don't have that yet. So um, Tito and Ryan both uh, – graciously enough contributed some of the clips to from our kickstarter film oh, okay um, a lot of the stuff the the bears walking across the river uh the horseback snow stuff uh some of the the african villagers celebrating after the successful bongo hunt um that's they're uh incredibly talented cinematographers and, and, and photographers and we have very similar backgrounds in having spent years and years and years in africa documenting you know these issues and, and anti-poaching efforts and um the ivory uh, crisis and all that kind of stuff. So they're going to bring a very international perspective to this. Um, and, and we're, you know, hopefully going to be releasing some of their films that they're working really hard on, uh, and, and, and being like an additional outlet for them to promote their, uh, their film work. So, yeah, that's the thing that's one of the things that's so exciting to me about this is I, I have interviewed a few of these people and it's just by chance. I, I it was before I knew any of them were involved in this project yeah. and, um, every single one of them, has been just extremely thoughtful, extremely, you know, they, they think deeply on subjects, they read a ton and they're, they're just really fun to talk to. And when I'm done, I feel like I learned a lot and then I wanted to continue the conversation. And when yeah. you look at your, your contributors, you know, all those folks are up there, plus these other ones that I don't know, but I'm, they wouldn't be hanging around with you and these other folks if they weren't the same way. And, yeah. um, and so I, I'm just really, really, really excited about it because you know, these people have depth and that they've thought about this stuff. Yeah. Um, it's John, a, John Dunaway, John Dunaway is the other one I forgot. And that that's a big one to miss, uh, you, who you've had on your show. He's he incredible. Is, he is yeah. awesome. He, I feel yeah. like he's my new best friend. We're always texting oh, yeah. about stuff and he's, yeah. I mean, that guy and people, people love that interview. And it's funny because, you know, mountain and prairie and, and I had him on, he's the ship captain, but you know, he has a lot of thoughts about conservation in, in the West. And, um, you know, he's, he's read a ton of books and, He's he's a super talented guy, hardworking. Um, if people haven't listened to that interview, go listen to that one. I'll have links to everybody that that Tyler just mentioned, so you can go see their work. And hopefully, I'll get some of those other people on the podcast yeah. at some point. Um, um, one thing that's of interest to me, and I know it's of interest to you, um, is just kind of the the history of hunting um, and how hunting has always played such a huge role in the conservation uh, movement. And they're, they're really intertwined. And nowadays, you know, we're at this, in this position where people think hunting or some people wrongly think that hunting is, is not conservation or it's not related to conservation. Um, but, you know, starting with our mutual hero, Teddy Roosevelt, um, you know, he, he kind of started this movement. Can you just, and now you're working with Simon Roosevelt. It's really, really cool. Can you just talk a little bit about your thoughts on that and, the history of uh, history of hunting and conservation and how that's playing into things. You've already kind of touched on it, but sure. Yeah. And you know, and I really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very, uh, not just me, but everyone involved is going to be very, um, delicate in making sure that the information we're presenting is the correct information. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so while I while I can't list, you know, actual statistics and facts right now, um, you know, we really want to make sure that every and I've told everyone, you know, these are pawn moves one at a time. Right. And, and we are not we can't make any wrong moves here because I've been in the hunting industry. If you do something, you can't take it back. Yep. And if you get written off by a demographic or an organization, it's unlikely that you'll get back in their graces. So I'm very much uh, I'm being kind of a pain in the ass to my team in, in you know, reading through and rereading through and saying, nope, we got to change that word. Don't use that word. And, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so um, in terms of, of hunting as conservation, you know, something in my personal life that I've experienced a lot of, you know, I went to college uh, in, U- in Los Angeles. I went to USC studied film and photography. And amazingly enough, I managed to land a job in Tanzania, you know, after I graduated. And I remember telling my friends that I got this job in Africa to go film hunts. And it was a 50-50 mix of people being like, that's badass. And the other people being like, you're, they they didn't want to be my friend anymore. Yeah, you're a killer. Yeah, how could you go over there and make, you know, home videos of guys killing these beautiful animals. And at the time, I didn't really have an answer to that sure. because I, because I hadn't been over there and I hadn't seen how it works. Um, and now 10 years later, I've been over there a lot of times and have been on a lot of hunts and can, you know, very confidently say that, um, that, that the hunting efforts over there do more for conservation than any, and this is not just in Africa. I mean, honey, hunters do more for conservation than anyone else in the world. I, and I don't know the exact percentage, but you know, it's, it's 90 to 95%. I agree with that. I mean, I'll, know? I'll back you up on that. And so, um, you know, I think that it's difficult for people to swallow that pill who live in the U S and, and have never been to Africa, but they see these, this footage of, you know, elephants and lions and and leopards and cape buffalo and and they develop these emotional attachments to animals they've never seen and then um due to the uh narratives that have been created by anti-hunting organizations make it seem like that these guys are doing this illegally that they're killing indiscriminately that they're breaking up prides of lions and all this kind of stuff none of which is true um it is a highly regulated uh system where the government um, the countries are broken up into game reserves, uh, national parks, and open areas. No hunting's allowed in national parks. Open areas are like public lands, but in Africa, no animals go on that land because they know any, you know, Joe, Tom, or Harry can be out there with their muzzleloader. Yep. So the game reserves are often much larger than the national parks, and they, those are leased to us safari operators mm-hmm. and for, for often five, 10, you know, 20 year leases. And so it is in the best interest of that company to make sure that they have anti-poaching and conservation standards in place. So they do surveys via plane and helicopter of uh, you know, population census. And they say, all right, you know what? There are this many buffalo in this area there are this many crocodile, blah, blah, blah. And they issue a certain number of permits based on that census. Yep. Then, then that safari company can sell those permits as safaris, right? And hunters come over and they have to pay lots and lots of money to go hunt these animals. Um, and in certain cases, you know, obviously elephant, elephant hunting is a very controversial topic. In a lot of cases, um, because of the expansion of uh, village populations and farmlands, these African villagers and farmers are encroaching on the game reserve and national park lands illegally. So 
the habitat of these elephants is shrinking. And so the elephants are going about their way and they stomp through some crops or they end up destroying a village and maybe hurting someone. Well, then the villagers are crying out for justice and they want to kill this elephant. And you can't dart an elephant and, re- and relocate it. It's going to come back. So in a lot of cases, they'll, instead of just killing it, they'll fly in a hunter and, and allow that hunter to, quote, you know, harvest the, the problem animal. Um, and that money goes to the villages, to local, for schools and wells and medical. The village gets the meat. Um, everybody wins. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's, there's controversy with all of this, right? And there's people, of course, there's lots of corruption and bribery in Africa. So there's certain situations where it doesn't go the way it should, right? Sure. And I'd also like to say that there are a lot of people in the world who call themselves hunters, and they don't believe or hold themselves to all the values we're talking about. And so they, there are people who go over and don't have respect for the culture or the animal, and they go over and they are interested in trophy hunting. And that's not something I agree with per se. However, there are systems in place to make sure that the trophy fees and the regulations, uh, the money goes to where it needs to go. Uh, the greater good of the wildlife is is kept in, in best interest. And it may be unpleasant to have to deal with somebody like that for a few weeks, but um, the system's in place to make sure that uh, that good prevails. So, Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I don't know. I just don't know anything about hunting in Africa. So I, so I love oh. I love hearing that. And you think about, you know, here in the U.S., um, it, it, like even if even if hunting was not for some reason, hunting was not pleasurable as a sport and nobody wanted to do it, it would have to be done. You right. know, the government would have to do it because because we came in here and we wiped out all the predators or they were wiped out for one reason or their, their theories that that humans wiped out all the big predators right. there there. These animals would would run wild and they would, they would overpopulate areas and they'd start dying off. You know, there's a perfect example. There's this Island on the North Carolina coast where my family goes and it has a deer population on it. And they, they got a b- bunch of blowback for allowing hunting. And so these deer were just went, went crazy and and they, they started, you know, reproducing. Yeah. And next thing you know, they're deer, they're these sickly deer. They're like skeletons walking around yeah. because there's not enough, for them to eat. And then they finally, people came to their senses and allowed them to cold the, cold the deer. And you know, the, the reality is there are no predators and things are not as they were 15,000 years ago before us humans, you know, came across the bridge. And so, um, there has to be some sort of regulation. And so even if hunting weren't a sport, we're lucky that it is because we can do that and people can enjoy it and the money can be used for conservation. But there has to be some regulation of these species or else they would, yeah. they would, uh, they, they kill themselves by, they, there wouldn't be enough forage. Yeah. Well, the sad reality, uh, in Africa, and it's not necessarily a sad reality. It's just a reality. And life over there is rough. It is a, it is a tough existence, even, even for a, somewhat of a civilized, uh, you know, town or something. It's just not this, it's just rough. And if something doesn't have value in Africa, it's not going to survive. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, the fact that bushmeat might sell for $500, uh, you know, that has value. But if, if a, a safari company comes in and now they can employ all of these guys to be game scouts and anti-poaching rangers, that is worth much more for them to keep the wildlife alive and protect it versus just go shoot a bunch of it with a muzzleloader or a snare um, and so there, there's processes of, of education and, and working with these local villages to say, look, these, 
these animals have value beyond just a quick, you know, fix in the market to, to shoot something illegally. Um, and so, you know, but it's crazy because the, the society over there is a hunter gatherer society. And so these are, these are oftentimes tribes whose in, you know, structure and, uh, rites of passage for a man entering into, uh, you know, into his age revolved around killing a lion or killing an elephant, you know, and those are things that can't really happen as much anymore. Um, so there's all sorts of, you know, angles and, and opinions and all this kind of stuff. And we just really want to try to educate people about what that landscape is. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to make your own decision on, you know, ideally, uh, we're going to present from a very level-headed, uh, well-read, and researched, um, you know, perspective, and hopefully that people will be able to decide for themselves. Well, that that makes sense, and that other person is just emotional, mm -hmm. and they're saying things that don't necessarily uh, mean they aren't fact. They're mm -hmm. you know their opinions, and so um, yeah, I, I think that that's that's the hardest part is. Uh, people being able to understand how killing something can be saving it, and um, and, and that's that's the uh, the task ahead. Yeah, well, I think it's very, I think it's admirable, um, and I think you know, smart people when they have all, when they can get all the information, I have faith that they can make the right answer. And I think what's sure. happening right now is a lot of them just aren't getting all the information, and so I think they're they're not mm -hmm. seeing this huge side that you and I have been talking about here. And sure. so I think, I think that's what you guys are doing is you're just going to get that, the word out. And, um, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Um, I want to add to that. Yeah. And, um, because obviously, you know, part of the mission, is, the, the main mission is to improve the perception of hunting, but that's not just us trying to educate folks who don't know about it. It's also an element of damage control within the hunting industry. So we're not, we're not going to be calling people out or slapping wrists, but by defining what we feel like is is good hunting is conservation based hunting um, and leading by example will we'll start to show uh, you know I, I think that other people will start to see how other forms of that are not and so we're hoping that you know some of these TV personalities or, or big brand representatives or, or spokespeople see what we're doing and um, and maybe they want to be a little bit more like that or they decide, you know what, I actually would like to conduct myself with a little more uh, dignity and virtue and sophistication. And if they come to us and say, hey, we'd love to do what you're doing. Great. Here, here's we can work with you can work with Katie, you can work with Brad and we can do like a branding uh, process where we talk to them about their communication standards, their their uh, photography style. Um, the sort of language they use, what not to do in terms of showing, you know, kind of disrespectful, bloody photos and things like that. So we're hoping that this will have sort of a trickle effect in the industry and people will start to see what we're doing and decide almost like a like an unspoken challenge. Right. So um, in the same way that, you know, that that book, How to Be a Gentleman, you know, at some point, if you decide you want to be more of a gentleman, well, you can go do that. And mm -hmm. that's something you can learn how to do. And so we're trying to be a resource, not just for folks who want to learn, but also people who want to change. So, yeah. And that's, I think that, that a lot of times in anything, you know, wh whether it's what you're doing or, or even like in sports, all it takes is for somebody to do it first and then people see that as possible and then people will fall in line. It's just that you, it takes that for that person who's willing to put, stick their neck out 
when it may not, you know, when there's some uncertainty involved yeah. and, and take the risk. And so you're the man, you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, yeah, we're, we're trying, we're going, here we go, whether we're ready or not. So. Well, I'm, I'm, I feel really good about your Kickstarter. I don't want to, I don't want to feel too good about it. Cause I don't want, I don't want people to think they don't need to donate cause they definitely need to go in there and donate. But, um, I, that's amazing how much progress you've made in, in that amount of time. But yeah, for everybody yeah. listening, you need to go to that page and I'll have links to all of it and watch the film cause it's, it's great. And, Thank, you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, you did a, you did a wonderful job on that. And Thank uh, you. Yeah. It was uh it was a lot of work. I, you know, I it's funny cuz I wrote that script um and then we were out in Montana, my uh my good friend Steve Rocks came out and filmed that for me. So a lot of the Yellowstone footage and the slow-mo stuff with the the you know, my my friend's little son with his bow and all of that. And then we sit down the last evening for me to like do this and and read the lines and I get it out and I'm like, "Oh my, I'm like how am I going to remember all this? Like, this is a really complicated script. And it took a couple beers for me to like, you know, <laughs> loosen up a little bit, but I actually memorized all of it. Uh, amazingly enough. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Like on the spot. I mean, like the sun was going down. You'll notice in the film, how at the beginning of the film, at the end of the film, the, the light quality has changed. We were like two minutes from the sun going down. So it was like, not only had I not practiced the lines, but we were losing light on the last night and he flew out the next morning. So, <laughs> so yeah, a little backstory there. Uh, prepare uh, for your film folks. I am, um, uh, I'm impressed, man. That, yeah. That's, uh, well, nothing like a little pressure to, to make you do it. You yeah. should, you should see me trying to record the intros of this podcast. It's just like, it's a lot of cuss words. Maybe yeah. I'll, do, I'll yeah. do a blooper reel sometime. I feel bad for the editor. Of yeah. The film. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, that I'm, I'm super excited for your, for the project. And again, everybody needs to go and watch the film and donate and more, you know, donating is important, but I also think passing it along to people, like-minded friends who, um, maybe who would have an interest in it. I think that's very important because it's, um, whether you're a hunter or not, if you're just a, a person who loves the outdoors and you love conservation and you love thoughtful, um, discussion, if you like this podcast, you will like Modern Huntsman a lot more than you like this podcast. So, <laughs> um, so last time we went through a lot of my rapid fire questions yep. and you gave some really great answers, especially your book answers. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've got them all in my, uh, Amazon wish list, but I wanted to see if you had any hunting specific books that have been important to you, because I'll tell you as much reading as I do, there are very, very few really good books just about hunting. Uh, I think Stephen yeah. Mella is, is awesome. And I think Teddy Roosevelt, uh, his, his books about hunting yeah. are awesome. But other than that, I've had a hard time trying to find any, do you have any good recommendations? I do. So I'll, I'll run through a couple of them with a very brief, uh, overview. So, um, a really interesting one is the man eaters of Sabo. I don't know if you ever read that, No. but did you ever see that movie, the ghost in the darkness with Michael Douglas? And I Val remember, Kimber? I remember it, but I never saw it. So it's the story of when the British were building the railroad from, uh, from the coast of Kenya to Nairobi. And there was this pair of rogue male lions, maneless male lions who ate, I don't know how it was like in the thirties and forties, different people killed a lot of people and ate them, not just killed them, but ate them. And they brought in these two professional hunters to basically try to kill these lions. And it's this amazing tale of their uh, follies uh, and, and adventures in trying to do that. So that's definitely one cool. because it, it, it's sort of the, you know, golden age of Africa in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, 
and uh, and that story of them trying to get rid of these man-eating lions. Um, uh, Robert Ruork is obviously famous, right? But there's a book he wrote called Something of Value mm-hmm. uh, that's about some of his uh, hunting expeditions in Africa. Um, cool. Another one of my favorites is The Old Man and the Boy. Oh, that's my buddy that we were talking about before uh-huh. uh, recording. That's his favorite book, and yep. he gave it to me. I've read it twice. Yep. Okay, yeah. And that's one that uh, is, is just an incredible, you know, and that's more, that's North American based. So I think it might hit home for a lot more people, but just about, you know, being a hunter and having respect for the wildlife and the seasons and, um, knowing that at any point in life that this boy could go, you know, and learning from his grandfather and, um, you know, sort of spending time outdoors and being able to, to harvest the bounty, uh, that nature provides, um, just through resourcefulness, um, it's really, really cool. It's More a great story. More people need to know about that book because that, that yeah. is an excellent book. Yeah. And then the last one, I pulled a couple of these off my bookshelf to be ready for you. So nice. uh, one is called Meditations on Hunting. And uh, it's uh, Jose Ortega y Gasset. And uh, Filson actually sold it on their website a couple of years ago. But it's a Spanish author who I think wrote this book in, I don't know if it was the late 1800s, but it's translated but it's really, really interesting, um, and it's these, uh, it's these, it's sort of a philosophical, poetic uh, reflection on how hunting, uh, what what hunting's function is for humans and the spirit of a human. Cool. Um, and I, I have one, I've got one little quote here uh, that's kind of funny. It was from the intro, um, but it's talking about uh, you know the the disconnection between uh, reality. Uh, today and like the old world and it said urban children are raised in virtual reality believing that animals speak english these young people are hunters still all of them but they shoot with joysticks and develop what ortega calls a funny snobbery toward anything wild man or animal and and i think it really sums it up you know it really sums it up because now there's this uh it's the the instinct and ability to hunt is within all of us whether you like it or not it's in our dna you can hate yourself for it, but it doesn't. That doesn't change the fact that that that's what you come from, and so the fact that he talks about that that kids these these days uh, have this funny snobbery towards it, um, and and a lot of that is conditioned, and whether that's conditioned through a parent's opinion or you know YouTube videos they saw or uh, you know protesters standing out with you know photoshopped bloody photos, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is. There's a major disconnect between the natural world and uh, humans' ability to um, survive off of it. Oh yeah, the, it's out of whack. I mean, that, I, yeah. I think the same thing about about um, ultra running. I mean, that's one of the reasons I do ultra mm-hmm. marathons is because I, I think there's this really cool connection that goes deep in our DNA that we've kind of lost. But that you know, I think humans' ability to to think, you know, to to be smarter than other species, to team up. And to be able to run really long distances, those are the only three things we have going for us. Yeah, and and um, you know it's in our DNA to to run long distances over long you know over long periods of time. It's in our DNA to hunt. Yeah, and these are things that have just kind of been snuffed out thanks to technology, which you know we we live longer because of it. But I, it's you wonder if people are happier, but because yeah. I, when I'm out, even when I'm getting destroyed at hour thirty five of running. That's about as happy as I can be, you know, even if I'm throwing up. And, you know, I think the same could be said. I've never gone any multi-day hunts, but you think about, you know, stalking an elk for for days on end. I mean, that is 
that's what we were built for. Um, yeah. That's to, not to get too uh, philosophical or sure. It's really scientific actually, but <laughs> definitely <laughs> um, any other ones. Um, let's see. I might get a whole bookshelf here. Um, I mean, obviously I know that most of the books you recommend are uh, nonfiction, but um, no, I need you know, more fiction. I, I, I need the more fiction, the better. I need to read more of that. Um, so, you know, Hemingway's Green Hills of Africa mm-hmm. um, is was a, a guiding light for me. You know, being in Africa and literally being in the area that he was writing about to me uh, was really special. And so those those books have always uh, had, you know, there's some short stories like the, um, you know, the, the short and happy life of Francis McComer and the snows of Kilimanjaro, yep. um, some stuff like that. That's really, you can tell that even though he was sort of a self-loathing alcoholic, his time in Africa was probably some of his happiest times, you know? And I, I relate to that because I've lived there and, and every, I think about it every day. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely one I would, uh, I would recommend, uh, any, any of those and, and out of Africa. I mean, there's not a lot of hunting in that book, but mm-hmm. it really captures the spirit of what, uh, what it was and and it still exists in pockets of you know obviously you know it's not as remote and there's not there's way more people in other areas but there's still areas where you can go in tanzania and and zambia and zimbabwe and be in the middle of nowhere with no one else around in a a land cruiser you know on a hunting safari um so uh that definitely captures uh some of that uh faded glory if we can call it that those are those are great recommendations, and I think again, the, just those recommendations and the fact you got a, a you know shelf, and I was complimenting you on that bookshelf <laughs> the other day, Thanks. full of uh, full of those. It just it's more evidence as the type of thinking and the time um, that you've invested in thinking about these these issues, and it's more evidence of why this uh, publication is going to be so great. Um, so I'm I'm really excited. One other question I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. that I've start I started asking people after we talked. Yep. But I've gotten some cool answers. Um, if uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? <laughs> and I, you know, I, I was kind of prepared for this because I, you know, had been listening to some of your other podcasts recently, and I was like, I wonder if he's. I should probably be ready for these <laughs> answers. Um, and you know, obviously, the, the the nature of the conversation we've had in, in the last hour has been very serious. And um, I, I had the good fortune of working for this family uh, called the Knowlton family, and I traveled with them for several years. I went to like 25 countries, and the dad is one of the most entertaining, uh, generous, and uh, quick-witted people I've ever been around. And I, uh, his name is Larry Knowlton, and I call him my bush dad because we spent so much time in the African bush. I, like I, there was actually a year where I was around him more than my actual dad, and um, he always had these really funny, like old Western adages and stuff like that. And I forget what we were talking about, but he just kind of cut me off, and he goes, he goes, Tyler, he goes, don't take yourself too seriously. He goes, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're gonna miss out on the world's biggest joke. <laughs> it's like. You know what? You're right, Larry. I should probably loosen up a little bit. So, you know, there's no there, there's philosophy in that, you know, there is. And, and it's like at certain times you got to step back and be like, you know what? Like, it's not that serious. Um, and we all have we get into debates and there's all this heated argument on social media and all that kind of stuff. But if you can't make fun of yourself, 
then, you know, as Larry says, you're going to miss out on the world's biggest joke. So I always remind myself of that in moments of uh, stress and tension. So I need to write that on a little, <laughs> on a little index uh, card and keep that handy. That's, that's a good one. Um, so how know, can people find out more about Modern Huntsman, the Kickstarter, yeah, and all that kind of yeah. stuff? Yeah. So, um, our modern huntsman is just modern huntsman on Instagram. Um, and we've got the link, uh, in the bio there. Um, but we also did a a short link. So it's the, you know, bitly bit.ly forward slash modern huntsman. That'll take you directly to the Kickstarter. And that's the most important thing right now, um, is just trying to, trying to get people there and, you know, whether or not people can actually support us, the, you know, the issues are, are going for, um, they, they're listed at $25, but then we have all sorts of other, um, sort of backer participation rewards where we actually have things set up where people who are trying to get ahead as a photographer or writer, where we have hour long or two hour long uh, conference calls where we consult about your work. There's several where we actually collaborate with them to produce a story that we then publish on the Modern Huntsman website. Um, you know, we've got a few things like that, a couple issues uh, that we sign, and then there's actually um, limited edition signed prints from some of the contributors, um, that are available. So there's all sorts of different levels that are beyond just the magazine. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, and this is something I forgot to mention, and I don't mean to, to keep running on about this, but in my opinion, one of the things that's so, uh, such an amazing opportunity with this magazine is that the contributor model we have, and as far as I know, no one else has done this before, where we're actually offering the contributors a percentage of the magazine sales. Mm -hmm. So if, we just make the bare minimum of the Kickstarter, then everybody will get paid a fair editorial rate. But if everybody rallies together and this thing spreads like wildfire and we're, we're able to get it in front of all these millions of people and, and do what we know that it can do, then all of these very deserving artists are going to get paid three, four, five times you know, the normal adver- you know, advertising editorial rate, which in my opinion is really exciting because it offers an opportunity to support the people who really deserve it in an arena where they don't normally get much, uh, you know, room to run or, or even credit. Sure. Less and less every year, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So we're excited about that. And, um, you know, I really would just encourage everybody to, to, to watch the film, but really check out the individual photographer's work because there's just such an amazing group of people. And, uh, collectively, um, I just, I'm so excited to be able to share this. So, well, I'm excited for you, man. This is, uh, it's going to be a great deal and I'm, I'm, ex- I'm happy to, I'm happy that I supported it and I hope I can convince a lot yes. of other people to support it. And, um, we'll, I'll keep everybody updated on my social media, but I appreciate all your hard work on this. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ed. Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading 
or just go to Mountain Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read. Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, You can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainandprairie.com and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.